Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, in which we shall take a look at the education curriculum reforms currently being pushed through in Florida through the lens of the long pattern of choosing to see our history in a way that comforts the comfortable and afflicts the afflicted. Sources today include Deconstructed, Alex Wagner Tonight, the Muckrake Political Podcast, the I Doubt It Podcast, the Benjamin Dixon Show, The Majority Report, and The Readout, with additional members-only clips from Think About It with Michael Leppert, America's Workforce Union Podcast, and Why Now, a political junkie podcast. And I just want to point out that the first clip you'll be hearing is from Deconstructed, a regular source of ours, but their guest is Christopher Rufo, one of the people leading the conservative effort to remake Florida education in their own image. So, not a regular source of ours, but someone who's worth hearing from to fully understand the contrasting perspectives. What's big in the news lately is his new curriculum that Florida rolled out uh, around African-American history. Sure. The thing that the media has really fixated on is this teachers are supposed to instruct kids that uh, slaves learn skills, you know, that some slaves learn some skills that they could potentially use in, in other aspects of their life. Setting that aside, I feel like that's better understood in the broader way that the curriculum approaches to history, which is it felt to me like some dorm room arguments I'd heard from conservatives back in college in the 90s. <laughs> like you hear things like, well, look, you know, they had slavery in Africa also. Sure. You know, sure before sure. they had. And then, well, look, actually, slavery was worse in the Caribbean, which true, it was. And well, look, being a serf in Europe, that was really, really bad too. And like all of it coupled with the slaves learned some skills that they could use later, all of it brought together feels like saying, yes, obviously slavery was bad. But relatively speaking, maybe it wasn't as bad as people say. So, like, is that where the kind of conservative embrace of CRT ends up going and, and why? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, you still hear those arguments today, right? You've heard them. Uh, I've heard them. And many of them are based in, I mean, facts, as, as you say. But I, I think they're ultimately and not. And that's all in the curriculum. Like, yeah. those things that I heard in the dorm room, like, those are. All of these things like, oh, there was slavery in Africa. It's all true, but it's like, yes. what, why? But, but I think that to take the point of, of this line that has caused controversy, I, and, and really I think you, know, you, you and I would both agree that the, the left-wing critique is that, that, oh, oh, DeSantis saying that slaves benefited from slavery. It's like, no, that's not what it means. And so what, what I think the point is, and, and this is actually has a, a long lineage in, in African-American, it's really the kind of Within American black philosophy and, and political theory and, and activism, there is a, stra- a strand of thinking that says, you know, the solution, and, and Thomas Sowell, you know, and you can bring it back to Booker T. Washington, but there is a strand of thinking that says, you know, the, the attitude that should be prioritized is one of resiliency, is one of hope, is one of uh, triumph over adversity. And yes, when you oversimplify it, it can be kind of a ridiculous Horatio Alger story. It can minimize um, some of the historical inequities. I mean, in truly, really and truly. But I think that th- that line was basically to say these people who suffered under unimaginable brutality and, and evil conditions were resilient. They had um, capacities. They had talents. And even though they were smothered 
and held back under the system of slavery, which was uh, evil and wrong, um, they were able to emerge from those in, in, in immense difficulties and actually have, have uh, capacities that they could realize once slavery was over. And, you know, I, I traveled in the Deep South as I was making the film, and one of the things that, that really um, shocked me and, and was really uh, quite inspiring was in the Mississippi Delta, there, was these free, there were these free cities that were all black, uh, small cities and towns that were established by freed slaves. They had um, uh, their, their own kind of thriving industries and economies in, in, the, in, in, in still some very difficult conditions. They had business people. They had civic leaders. They had, you can see the, all the whole old history. And I, and I talked to folks about the history of these places. And to me, that was a triumph of spirit and of ingenuity and of, and of resilience and in courage. And I think that you can't tell a story that is only that, right? You can't, you can't minimize what these people faced. Um, and we should confront it honestly and, 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 and totally. But also you should not minimize the, these accomplishments, which are not trivial by any measure and should not be, um, should not be covered over by, by people today who see them as an impediment to their own uh, you know, left-wing politics. I mean, I, I think that that's so... I mean, we should, we should be, you know, in the textbooks in place, like, like, like even in the Deep South, those stories should also be highlighted. I think those stories are, are, are quite uh, effective. And my opposition to, let's say, on these issues, right, race issues, my opposition to critical race theory, it's been, you know, hashed out. Anyone can go see my opposition. But for something kind of new, it's the, the, the opposition to, let's say, even something like a reparations or something like, uh, you know, affirmative action stems from my observations in a place like Memphis, where I really saw the more that the government and the state seeks to engineer social outcomes and on these crude measures, actually the worse things get. For me, after that long observation, I just feel very skeptical that, that these social engineering projects, uh, you know, the government can do pretty good physical engineering. The New Deal taught us that. I mean, the, some of those bridges are, are still American landmarks. But social engineering is something quite different, and, and we've never been able to do it successfully, and so I'm quite skeptical uh, in that regard. If you're still helping with the curriculum, if they're still working on it, I'd suggest adding in something on Robert Smalls, adding in, or in general talking about slave uprisings and, and resistance to couple it with, okay, good that somebody became a blacksmith, but also talk about the kind of the way that there was constant effort to overthrow slavery, you know, from the enslaved yeah. people themselves. That's part of our course catalog. It's being offered. I think they have taken it back. I, I think that's a mistake, and I'll bet you it'll end up being offered. That is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis today pushing back on an earlier announcement from the College Board that Florida's Department of Education had effectively banned AP psychology in the state because AP psychology violates Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act. That is also known as the Don't Say Gay Law. The College Board, which administers the AP courses, said in a statement yesterday that Florida school districts are free to teach AP psychology only if it excludes any mention of sexual orientation and gender identity. The College Board said it cannot modify the course in response to laws that would censor college-level standards. 
But the idea of no more AP psychology in the entire state of Florida has stirred up some controversy here. So the Florida Education Commissioner just a few hours ago fired back with a statement insisting that the department believes that AP psychology can be taught in its entirety in a manner that is age and developmentally appropriate. But that sort of leaves a lot of questions there, doesn't it? Specifically, what does the state of Florida think is age and developmentally appropriate? And does that involve any mention of sexual orientation and gender identity? Now, so far, the College Board is focused on the part of the statement that says AP psychology may be taught in its entirety. But what does that actually mean for the teachers who need to begin school in a matter of weeks? Joining me now is Rachel Chapman, a high school teacher in Orlando, Florida, who has been teaching AP psychology for the past 17 years. Ms. Chapman, thank you for being here. I know it is not easy to talk um, perhaps critically about what's going on in the state of Florida if you are employed in the state of Florida. So I, I really appreciate you coming on television tonight. Let me just first ask, I mean, what is going on in your classroom? How are you preparing for the next year? It's kind of difficult right now because everything is still up in the air. There's a lot of change, a lot of movement still happening. So there's a still great unknown to what is this year going to be looking like. Our students start next week, and we're still not entirely sure what's going to happen. And this new information coming from the state is kind of muddying the waters a little bit. So it's really difficult for me to prepare in the way that's necessary for my students starting next week. For people who didn't take AP Psych, I'm one of them. Can you just explain why it's necessary to have content that addresses uh, gender and sexual orientation in an AP Psych class? Excellent. AP Psychology is all about the study of the human mind and behavior. And when we try to understand human behavior, we need to look at it from multiple lenses. And by looking at it through these multiple lenses, we can understand all of humanity. And to take out bits and pieces, we're missing out important aspects about what makes psychology psychology, what makes us us. So it's not like a pick and choose. We can't just decide we're going to look at certain parts of ourselves. We need to look at all of it. What do you think is, I mean, what do you think is behind the state saying, yeah, you can't do that anymore in an AP psychology class in the state of Florida? I mean, what does that signal to you? It's it's really difficult to really interpret what they mean. Um, we don't know if they're doing that because they don't want discussion at all about gender and sexuality. We don't know if they want a reduced, and it's... What what do they want? And when we hear that message from them, not to include it, it really makes me wonder, do we want all um, discussion about these individuals out of the classroom entirely? I just, it, to, to the outside world, this reminds me of the Stop Woke Act, which really chilled any discussion of race, racism, institutional racism, slavery. I mean, basic sort of questions about how you teach history in the state of Florida are kind of up for grabs because of the vagueness of the law and the sort of um, haphazard way with which it's enforced. And I wonder if the same might be happening in the field of psychology or the teaching of AP psychology in, in, in in classes that, that that it remains purposefully vague to have effectively a chilling uh, effect on on teachers and and lesson plans are you worried about your ability to teach going forward 
I do have concerns. Teachers love clarification. Teachers thrive on information. And we need that clarification to make sure that we are, are not ourselves going to be getting into trouble. Walking on eggshells in a classroom is never helpful for students. It's not going to help them understand what we're trying to talk about. So clarification is so important. The vagueness of what's happening right now is really putting us in a situation where we cannot prepare and we can't teach effectively. I mean, this is not the, uh, this is obviously not the only AP course that's come under fire in terms of or intersected with Governor DeSantis's agenda. This the same is true notoriously for the AP African American Studies class. I mean, I kind of wonder if you start targeting these advanced placement courses and the students who take them. What does that say about the level of education in Florida? I mean, what does that do for, to parents who are looking to get a great education for their kids in Florida public schools, does it make them want to take their kids out? I mean, what are you hearing from parents whose, whose children are victims of the, the sort of culture war agenda here? It's it's complicated because there are many parents who are concerned. Are their students going to be competitive when it comes to college? Are they going to be competitive when it comes to career readiness? Um, but at the same time, I really want to let people know that Florida teachers are hard workers. Yeah. We're, we're really good at what we do, and we are going to do what we can to do what is best for the students to make sure they are getting the highest quality education that we are able to give them. One of the things that's coming out of one of our favorite states, that's right, the state of Florida, everybody, is that Florida education in its continuous unending war against woke is now going to push for educational standards that are going to portray the enslavement of human beings, chattel slavery. That is right. They are going to say that slavery was actually very beneficial to the enslaved. Nick, much like having an internship, they learned some lessons. They gained some skills. It actually, there are both sides to this issue. It's an incredible thing, is it not? Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't say any of that. Please, you're making me upset. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Would you like to hear what the uh, the, the retort was to the criticism uh, of, of this new uh, – I kind of want to jump right to that. I feel like it's interesting to hear what the right will say about this because, again – the idea that slave, slaves would have benefited from the skills they might have learned as slaves in their <laughs> later lives is is really not about that. But would you? Can I just read this real quick? Nick, to you? Nick I'll say this: I will only listen to the retort as long as it is even-handed, reasonable, and will not upset me. I, I, well, well, let's find out. I mean, this is from FoxNews.com <laughs> because. Uh, I happened to stumble upon that when I was doing my research, but here's that's my homepage. So let's go. Right? Okay, good. And you're not lying. Uh, there have been questions raised about language within a benchmark clarification of standard SS blah blah blah, which says instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances can be applied for their personal benefit. The statement reads: The intent of this particular benchmark clarification is to show that some slaves developed highly specialized trades which they benefited. This is factual and well-documented. 
Some examples include blacksmiths like Ned Cobb, Henry Blair, Lewis Latimer, John Henry, shoemakers like James Ford and shoemakers, Paul uh, Cuff and Betty Washington Lewis, fishing and shipping industry workers like Jupiter Hammond, <laughs> John Chavis, uh, William Whipper and Christmas Addicts, tailors like Elizabeth Keckley, James Thomas and Marietta Carter, and teachers like Betsy Stockton and Booker T. Washington. Because like nothing says, you know, education, they're being how to learn how to be an educator than being a slave. Right, Jared? That's literally like saying, you know, there was a good side to genocide. A lot of real estate opened up like that. that, It's the absolute most insane thing. And to even propose it in the first place is an absolutely indefensible thing. I want to give people a a, a quick little lesson. I talked about this a little bit in the Midnight Kingdom, but if you haven't had a chance to read it yet, this is an example of what's called paternalism. The idea here that uh, was was in the American Confederacy during the the slave period, it was the idea that the enslaved, they were real simple people, Nick. They they couldn't take care of themselves. It was almost like they had a, a parental obligation to take care of these poor, poor souls, you know, to put a roof over their heads to make sure they were fed, not educated, mind you. We didn't, we didn't want them reading, you know, in case they like put two and two together and got out of hand. But it was this idea that these were subhumans that needed to be taken care of by their white slave masters. In other words, white supremacy is built on a foundation of believing that you're actually helping people. You're actually teaching them skills. You're actually making sure that their lives are better than they would be. You know, if they were back in Africa or if they were with their families or if they had freedom, this is only a new iteration of it. And it is as insidious as it sounds. Oh, and, and especially if they weren't being tortured and maimed and killed uh, in the middle. And of sexually well. assaulted. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so it really is disgusting. And, you know, we've talked about this before and how, and, and by the way, this isn't in a vacuum. Uh, if you were to examine, and Jared, I know you have um, the, the teaching standards in the South, particularly oh. of, this, of slavery in general, uh, I think you'd find decades upon decades of this type of thing happening where they try to soften the the, yep. the effects of slavery and what slavery meant uh, so as not to, I suppose, make white people feel bad about it uh, when, in fact, I think that's the point. I think we all should feel bad about it so we don't fucking do it again. Yeah, we should probably learn from slavery and genocide and exploitation and, and all of these awful things. And you're absolutely right about the South. One of the reasons why that the education systems are so abysmal is because it's an intentionality. It's actually making sure that nobody can take a look at the way things are. And, and it's not a coincidence that these uh, uh, deviations from what it's like in the North and the West and the East and all of that, it's no coincidence that they happen to take place in things like, again, slavery during the antebellum period, uh, the civil rights period in which people were murdered and beaten and oppressed, um, and and in all of these sort of ways that the South has manifested white supremacy uh, as much, if not more, than these other places. I will also say while we're on this subject, I lived in Georgia for a decade, and I have to tell you, very early on, I want to say it was only a few months of getting there. Like I noticed that these are the conversations that are always happening. It's not just a caricature. There are lots of conversations about not just the war of Northern aggression and how, you know, the South was actually just a a lost cause. It was a beautiful time. It was also a conversation about how, you know, black people, they like to complain about what happened during slavery, but 
a lot of them actually had it better than they have it now. It's a narrative that perpetuates, and not only is it keeping people from feeling guilty, it's keeping any type of progress and any type of addressing of this inequality, which is intentional, from ever being addressed. It is a strategy, and what's happening right now is that strategy is being advanced. Our ad system respects your privacy, but if you'd like to get rid of them entirely, we would love to have you as a member of the show. Members enjoy an ad-free version of the show, as well as bonus episodes and bonus content in each regular episode, plus extremely handy chapter markers that help identify and navigate the clips. Sign up for membership at bestofleft.com support. Florida is now using PragerU content in public school classrooms. Making it available and encouraging educators to utilize Dennis Prager, quote unquote, university right-wing unhinged clips in a classroom to indoctrinate. That's what this is, to indoctrinate children with lies and propaganda about the whitewashed version of history. And we want you to be fully informed about what this means. So we're going to start with a promotional video that the PragerU CEO, Melissa, Marissa, sorry, Strait posted on the Prager account on YouTube, um, notifying parents her excitement that Florida is now going to be using PragerU videos. And I want you to (laughs) listen to the language that this woman uses when she is describing the content that will now be shown in public schools. Friends, I'm ecstatic to make this groundbreaking announcement. PragerU is now making it into schools. A couple of years ago, we launched PragerU Kids because parents have been frustrated. Teachers have been frustrated. We have seen that our schools have been hijacked by the left. They have been politicized. They have been used by union bosses. They have been doing everything under the sun, not for our children. And so we have launched PragerU Kids and we started providing great edutainment, educational entertainment for children across America. But we didn't just stop there. Now we're actually making turnkey curriculum content for your schools. And the state of Florida just announced that we are now becoming an official vendor. This means that if you are a teacher in Florida, you cannot be fired for using PragerU content. You can also rely on our resources in your classrooms. And we are just getting started. Additional states are signing up. Go to our website, PragerU.com, and find out which other states have been working closely with us so that we become an approved vendor in additional states across America. You should know that the left is trying to fight us. They're trying to take us out of the schools and we need your support. So please go to PragerU.com and sign our petition to keep PragerU in schools. We know that you know that our content is clean. It's great. It's patriotic. We teach civics. We teach financial literacy. We teach goodness and wisdom and all of the things that should have been taught in schools but are not. And so help us stay in schools. Help us make it into your schools. Go to PragerU.com find out how you can get involved and help us fight for America's kids. A lot of the, like, do we need to teach patriotism? Do we need to teach those values? I mean, is that the, the, the role of education? Aren't we supposed to teach the truth, the accurate history, not propaganda that they're celebrating, that they, 
They're making it into schools. And oh, by the way, now you can't be fired. <laughs> what? What is happening? Yeah, it's it's scary stuff, especially with the. I'm serious. I spent like two hours watching Prager. Uh, better videos. you than me, sister. And <laughs> and let me tell you, I mean, they have interesting segments. Not that they're good. I'm saying that they are created to appeal to kids. They're very colorful. Yeah. They have a series that we're going to we're going to play a lot from Leo and Layla. They travel all over the world. They time travel. They have a little remote where they type in a place or a person and then they travel there and they talk to Martin Luther King Jr., you know, all these different people which Booker we're, we're going to get to. Yeah, but they also have a segment where it's like around the world, I think is what it's called. And they go to different locations. You know, the one in Canada, they criticize um, the healthcare system in Canada. Well, of course. And in, um, in LA, they talked about uh, the police. That was the, the topic of the one in Los Angeles. And we're not going to play a, a large part of this, but I, I want to give the audience a flavor for how they describe George Floyd. We know how George Floyd was killed by Derek Chauvin. He was uh, choked. His, his Derek Chauvin's knee was on George Floyd's neck for you know ten minutes. We know how he died. Derek Chauvin convicted of murder for this offense. Right now, now that you know that and your your memory has been refreshed, I want you to hear how the Prager Kids lesson will teach kids about George Floyd. Then, in May 2020, George Floyd, a black man who resisted arrest and was held under the knee of a police officer, died while in custody. <laughs> died while in custody. I was not ready for that. Died while in custody Resi- by a man who was convicted for his murder, not for manslaughter or whatever lesser charge, murder. Mm-hmm. But this is what they want to teach children. I mean, if there were, we could end it right there and everybody could be satisfied that our claim that this is propaganda and lies and just a conservative narrative, they would get it. Yeah. And I mean, they're going to teach kids this. They're going to teach young people. Yeah. That like some teacher in Florida is excited that they're able to show these videos and a kid may learn about George Floyd for the first time from this video. And that is what they're going to come away believing. It's horrifying. Byron Donalds, who is the congressman from the 19th Congressional District of Florida. He has come under fire, not by me, but by the Ron DeSantis campaign because Byron Donalds had the unmitigated gall to call out. And, and, and again, let me let me not say call out. I, I his response to Ron DeSantis's new curriculum stating that black people or enslaved people benefited from slavery. Um, it was really timid. It was gentle. Let me read. Let me read for you what Byron Donalds said that got him to be the target of the DeSantis campaign. This is what he said on Twitter, quote, the new African-American standards in Florida are good. No, they're not robust and accurate. Mm. That being said, the attempt to feature the personal benefits of slavery is wrong and needs to be adjusted. 
that obviously wasn't the goal. And I have faith that the Florida Department of Education will correct this. I mean, listen, this is as this is this is lighter than a slap on the wrist. He 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 did everything he could to to gently massage the criticism, the critique to to say, hey, hey, white conservatives, I, I, I don't want to fall out of grace with you. I'm not trying to get out of line, but this is just a bridge too far. Well, Christine Pushaw, who is the social media director for Ron DeSantis, this is what she said on Twitter and ratioed him. She said, did Kamala Harris write this tweet? Now, to be fair to her, which I, I don't have to be, that was the mildest response of all the conservatives. Um, this is another response saying, quote, you'll never get my vote again, sellout. <laughs> uh, another one said, you really have sold out for Trump. OK, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, and then another said, it didn't take you long to sell out, did it? Hmm. And then another said, here comes the sellout. Pathetic, dude. Pathetic. Uh, you know. The, what Byron Donald said was so mild. I, I mean, he's basically saying you you got a 99% Ron DeSantis on your curriculum, but that 1% difference is something that I feel like you can correct. And would you please, sir, please consider correcting it. And the DeSantis campaign said, hell no. DeSantis supporters said, get in line, get, get back uh, so much for all, all the times I've heard Byron Donalds call black people who vote democratic. And uh, he says that they're on the plantation of the Democratic Party. Uh, who's being whipped? Ron DeSantis has responded to Byron Donald's mild criticism of the language in the new Florida curriculum. This was his response to Donald's. Well, um, the end of the day, you got to choose. Are you going to side with Kamala Harris uh, in liberal media outlets? Or are you going to side with the state of Florida? And I think it's very clear that these guys did a good job on those standards. It wasn't anything that uh, was politically uh, motivated. Uh, these are serious scholars. You've seen Dr. Allen out on, on TV talking about the stories, talking about his own family history and everything like that. So don't side with Kamala on that. Stand up. So Ron DeSantis is now telling black conservatives not to stand up for their blackness, but rather stand up for his particular Florida curriculum. He's not siding with Kamala Harris. I can I can certainly tell you that if you ask any black conservative what they think about Kamala Harris, they are not siding with Kamala Harris, Ron DeSantis. They're siding with their blackness. They're siding with the reality that under no circumstances should we try to cast a single facet of slavery in a positive light. Here is Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire. This is what he said on Twitter, quote, any Republican who repeats Kamala Harris talking points loses huge amounts of credibility. Very disappointed to see from Byron Donalds. The curriculum briefly mentions that some slaves utilize skills after being freed. This is objectively true and we shouldn't teach it because it hurts my feelings isn't a legitimate or respectable position. See, Byron, see what they really think about you. You know, the fact that it, the truth about what happened after slavery is all just almost as bad as what happened during slavery. The amount of laws that were wielded against us to block us from making any progress on our own, the amount of violence that came down on black people after they were freed, how many black people had to stay because they had no other they, they were not given any resource. They were freed and say, go and be on your own accord. Just 
to survive on your own. And, and then to try to frame it, I, I should not have even argued this from the position of where Matt Walsh was trying to argue. He's trying to argue that last generation, how many generations before that lived and died in slavery without the opportunity to utilize any of the skills that were passed down to them from generation to generation because we had skills when we arrived here, when you brought us here. The cruelty is the point, right? I think they enjoy pouring salt into the open wound that is America's original sin. And my original take was almost to just say, you know what, black conservatives, I told you so. And you know what, I I can admit when I needed to shift and change a little bit, because despite the fact that I disagree with the politics of these black conservatives, I can't help but to be extremely proud of the fact that when the rubber met the road, these particular, not all black conservatives, but these black conservatives, Byron Donalds, who I have never said a, a kind thing about, I have to admit that I am proud of this brother taking a stand against Ron DeSantis at the risk of his own career. The rest of Byron Donalds politics suck. He still supports Donald Trump. But when it came down to his blackness, he said, no, I'm going to draw the line here. And so I salute that brother, even if it's in a limited sense. You even have uh, senators, Tim Scott, who came out and said the exact thing that there's no reason for anyone to try to cast a single component of slavery as something positive. And listen, have you ever heard me say something positive about Tim Scott? Um, but I would be remiss. It would be a shame on my blackness if I allowed my disdain for all of the rest of their politics to make me ignore the fact that in this moment they are speaking the truth listen listen to this clip i apologize for the quality of the audio it's a little difficult to hear but if you listen closely tim scott is speaking the truth as a country founded upon freedom greatest deprivation of freedom for slavery uh, there's there's no silver lining in freedom in slavery the truth is that anything you can learn that any benefits that people suggest you had during slavery you would have had as a free person uh, what slavery was was really about separating families, about mutilating humans, and even raping their wives. It was just devastating. So I would hope that every person in our country, and certainly running for president, would appreciate that. And listen, people have bad days. Sometimes they regret what they say, and we should uh, ask them again to clarify their positions. Well, they did ask him again. And see, this is where I start parting ways with my conservative um brothers and sisters, I part ways with them because they are giving Ron DeSantis too much of the benefit of the doubt. Jesse Waters spoke with William Allen. He's one of the authors of the curriculum. He is apparently a political scientist, not a historian, but again, irrelevant. Here is Allen trying to make his case. One of the authors of the Florida curriculum, Dr. William Allen, joins me now. So, Dr. Allen, why do you think Kamala Harris is being dishonest about what's being taught about slavery? Permit me not to give you Kamala Harris's motives. They are invisible. I don't know them. We can all have suspicions that there's a dishonest purpose afoot. But what's more important than that dishonest purpose is the truth. And this curriculum is devoted to telling the truth, whereas Kamala Harris has retailed a lie. 
Now, it may only have been a falsehood the first time she stated it, but when you repeat a falsehood, it becomes a lie. Tell her right now what specifically this component of the slavery course teaches. Well, permit me to have Frederick Douglass tell her. He wrote an autobiography in which he described how the mistress of his slave owner began to teach him to read. She pulled back the curtain through which a glimmer of light shone before the master forced her to close it. But that glimmer of light was enough for Frederick Douglass to illumine a bright flame that he exploited to his benefit and his country's benefit thereafter. Such examples are numerous and they are retailed in the stories of people who suffered the indignity of slavery time and again. And quickly permit me to say, what this curriculum is about is having people who live the experience, who live the history, tell their stories. And nothing is more important than that we never, ever erase the stories that the people who live the stories tell. All right. So first off, again, let's just even take what this guy's saying. And you, you notice like the flowery language that he needs to sort of like obscure <laughs> you know, needs the, the, the flame, the passion, blah, blah, blah. The implication is that that Douglas would not have learned to read were he not a slave. <laughs> but the reality is, it's the opposite. Yes. That there not only would uh, Frederick Douglass not have to rely on the mistress of the master to make him see the concept of reading, start this light, and we're going to examine the, even that question. But just even if we were to stipulate that she was to sit down with him for years and taught him to read and taught him grammar and taught him all these things, well, there's every reason to believe that if Douglas was not a slave, he would have had an opportunity hmm. to read. It wouldn't have been disallowed. In fact, there would be more than Frederick Douglass. There would be many Frederick Douglasses who would have learned to read, but for slavery. So the real question isn't like, you know, whether slavery allowed for skills that uh, benefited them. The real question is, but for slavery, would these people have had skills? And the answer is undoubtedly no. No, no, no. There's not a but for slavery. No, the, it is but for slavery. There would be a lot more yes. people with skills. The fact that the uh, skills I mean, were honed in is not because of slavery. It is in spite of exactly. slavery. Exactly. I mean, this guy was a uh, Reagan appointee as the chair of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Uh, uh, just a heads. I mean, because I, I couldn't find too much about him. So I just went to good old Wikipedia. And there you go. Uh, appointed um, by Reagan and then Bush the first. This uh, Twitter, um, a Twitterer, they are a Texas A&M statistics PhD student. We'll, po we'll pop it up. They did a tweet thread on uh, William Douglas, the way that he presents it within the context of his uh, biography. And you can scroll down here. We're not going to go through the whole thing. But bottom line is, yes, his mistress, who he says, had no experience in slavery before she married his master and therefore was open to the idea of introducing to him literally the alphabet. And then not only did she stop 
teaching him when her master, her husband said, stop doing that. This is Mr. and Mrs. Ald. She assisted me in learning to spell three or four were uh, three or four letters, words of three or four letters, like dog, maybe a cat. And then once she was forbade from doing it, you can scroll down to where he gets into the capitalize. It was in fact not those letters that she taught him, but rather it was when the master said this. What was going on at once forbade Mrs. Ald to instruct me further, telling her, among other things, that it was unlawful as well as unsafe to teach a slave to read, to use his own words. Further, he said, if you give an N-word an inch, he will take an L. An N-word should know nothing but to obey his master, to do as he is told to do. Learning would spoil the best N-word in the world. Now, said he, if you teach that N-word, speaking of myself, that being Douglas, how to read, there would be no keeping him. It would forever unfit him to be a slave. Mm. He would at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. As to himself, it could do him no good, but a great deal of harm. It would make him discontented and unhappy. And then Douglas goes on to write, these words sank deep into my heart. These words, remember that, these words sank deep into my heart, stirred up sentiments within that lay slumbering and called into existence an entirely new train of thought. It was a new and special revelation explaining dark and mysterious things with which my youthful understanding had struggled, but struggled in vain. I now understood what had been to me a most perplexing difficulty to wit, the white man's power to enslave the black man. It was a grand achievement. And I prized it highly. From that moment, I understood the pathway from slavery to freedom. It was just what I wanted. And I got it at a time when I least expected it. While I was saddened by the thought of losing the aid of my kind mistress, I was gladdened by the invaluable instruction, which by the merest accident I had gained from my master. In other words, the true inspiration for him to read came from not the alphabet that he was taught by his mistress, not the uh, three-letter words that he was taught, but by the understanding that it was the master preventing him from reading, which was uh, keeping him mentally and physically enslaved. And then he went on to, to learn to read in secret because had he not had that revelation, his use of three-letter uh, words or the alphabet would probably have just been uh, of, of some minor utility to her or to him in his uh, enslaved duties. Your book is called A History of Florida Through Black Eyes. Uh, it contains photos that were unearthed over 50 years of research documenting lynchings and other crimes against black folks in Florida. Um, you also donated a collection of 4,000 photos to uh, FIU, Florida International University, which I know very well. Is your book, in your view, in, in your mind, as you understand this, quote, Stop Woke Act, is it legal to teach your book in Florida schools? 
Oh, no. No, no. If, if, if a teacher in Florida schools was caught taking this book to school, he or she could be fired, could be charged with a felony. Uh, this book is not allowed in Florida schools because it touches on the very things that DeSantis wants hidden uh, from Florida students. So no, this book is not admitted, could not be admitted into the uh, Florida classroom. That's part of what we're facing here in this crisis. I was teaching at Florida International University before Ron DeSantis was born. Now he sidles up to me and tells me what I can't teach in my classroom? Excuse me, sir, you're not my boss. You're not the boss of me. Uh, this man, when he taught school for a very brief period of time, some of his students claimed that Ron DeSantis taught the Civil War as if the Confederates had a point. They had they lost property. Some of his students said that Ron DeSantis taught them that uh, abortion was wrong. Now, he's teaching this in his classes, his political agenda, his personal agenda. Now he comes as governor and tells us we can't teach unless uh, we respect uh, what he prescribes as very, very rigid rules of, of academic freedom. Uh, he's a hypocrite. He's an absolute hypocrite. And what he's doing, frankly, is just totally destroying education in Florida. I, da I dare this man to show me one school in Florida where critical race theory is being taught. Just one school. One school in Florida where students are being told feel bad because of something someone did 20 years ago. Where is that happening, Ron? He cannot point out. What, this is all made up. It's fake. Aimed at getting him to the White House. This man is running for president and using race as a culture to beat the votership over the head. To, to your very point, I mean, the things that they claim are their concerns, because you've already had uh, Florida's, coll Florida's college board um, rejected, um, the African-American studies course rejected. You've had Florida schools that are under the, you know, sort of the regime of the governor come back and say, no, 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 we promise we're not teaching critical race theory in our schools. As you said, they don't, but they've already backed down and said that they won't do it. You actually went right at Ron DeSantis. Um, you are one of the members, uh, one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit that is trying to challenge the Stop Woke Act. Uh, you tweeted references to your own family's history at Ron DeSantis. And you said to him, this is the history of my own family. These are the things that we have dealt with. Um, collecting used books from all white schools because they couldn't uh, be allowed to have new books. Um, being on the migrant trails in the 1940s, your father not being allowed to be a cook in the Navy during World War II because he was black. Have you received a response from Ron DeSantis uh, on the challenges you put forward about your own history? Not a word. I wrote to Ron and to Manny Diaz asking them, what kinds of things am I not allowed to teach? How am I supposed to teach the Holocaust without feelings? How am I supposed to teach slavery without feelings? How am I to explain to students a woman having her baby snatched from her and sold out to someone else and not express my sense that that's evil? So what we're being asked to do is to super sterilize American history, to take race out of it and act as if race wasn't a factor. If DeSantis had his way in the teaching of slavery, for example, slavery in Florida would be taught uh, some Africans came over, worked for free for a while, and that was it. That's slavery. Lynching. Some, yeah. some people took some people and, and killed them. That's it. Take the race out of it. He is so determined to kill our history uh, that it just makes me and others even more determined uh, to save it and to protect it. I don't, I don't uh, uh, shrink from DeSantis. Uh, he is a bully. Uh, he is a, he's an autocrat. And he's a little guy trying to become a big guy. He's a baby Trump. 
And I think the people of this country will recognize that, particularly when they see what he's going to do to our schools if he becomes president. We've just heard clips today, starting with Deconstructed, speaking with Christopher Rufo, giving his conservative perspective on Florida's education curriculum. Alex Wagner tonight discussed the chilling effect of creating uncertainty about what is allowed to be taught. The Muckrake Political Podcast explained Florida's efforts as part of a long pattern of attempting to obscure our history. The I Doubt It Podcast lamented the inclusion of PragerU as approved Florida educational material. The Benjamin Dixon Show highlighted the very light pushback by black conservatives in Florida. The Majority Report broke down the story of Frederick Douglass learning to read and highlighted why we should never see slavery as having benefited enslaved people. And the readout spoke with a black professor and author of A History of Florida Through Black Eyes about Ron DeSantis. That's what everybody heard, but members also heard bonus clips from Think About It with Michael Leppert, who looked at the not-so-controversial DEI framework. If the average American were to learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion training through its discussion in the political arena alone, suspicion of it should be expected, and hostility toward it would be understandable. Duh. America's Workforce Union podcast looked at Florida's education through the lens of DeSantis's political enemies. The level of vitriol against those of us who work in public education, those of us who are union members in the state of Florida is just off the chart. And so what we have right now is yet another attack on a group that the governor has decided are political adversaries, in this case, African-Americans. And Why Now, a political junkie podcast, discussed the nuances of understanding Southern history. The South has played a particular role in the American imagination. And the role that it's played is as a kind of repository for racism and backwardness. So America is innocent and great and victorious. The South is where we put all the defeat and the poverty and the failure and, as I said, the the racism. And that is a really, really self-defeating way of looking at those issues. To hear that and have all of our bonus content delivered seamlessly to the new members-only podcast feed that you'll receive, sign up to support the show at bestoftheleft.com slash support, or shoot me an email requesting a financial hardship membership because we don't let a lack of funds stand in the way of hearing more information. Now to wrap up, I just want to point out that this whole topic is a classic example of how a system of power defends itself against critics. The key to doing this is creating a straw man argument that frames power as being an all or nothing situation. This is a completely wrong framing. It makes no sense, but it's really easy to disprove. So they use that straw man as their opponent's opinion. They, they misrepresent their opponent's position and then everything flows from that misrepresentation. So right now I'm, I'm thinking mostly of the black academic who was interviewed on Fox News to describe how Frederick Douglass's enslaver's wife began to teach him the fundamentals of reading. Now, they seem to think 
that by highlighting a story like this, they are breaking through a sort of conspiracy of thought that would otherwise silence this line of teaching. And the simplified version of this straw man argument is this. Basically, one side says that slavery is 100% bad. And the contradictory perspective will argue that if anything ever good happened within the context of slavery, then the first argument must be untrue, or even that the person arguing that slavery is 100% bad doesn't want you to know that anything good could have ever happened under a slave system, partially to you know trick you or something like that. This is a straw man argument because both ideas can be simultaneously true. Slavery can and should be considered as 100% bad, totally unjustifiable, completely irredeemable, and this is not changed by any instance of kindness, for instance, between an enslaved person and their enslaver. The crux of the straw man argument is the all-or-nothing fallacy. They're presenting a sort of cartoon version of a system of oppression that they imagine as being an environment in which nothing good can possibly happen to the oppressed, and everything good must happen to the oppressor. Then, because we don't live in a black-and-white world, and that sort of black-and-white thinking is obviously not going to be true, they can knock down that straw man, and in doing so, it puts doubt into the minds of many about the legitimacy of the claims of oppression overall. In reality, systems of oppression are never all or nothing. It's, it's never that the oppressor gets 100% of the benefit and the oppressed gets zero, that nothing ever good happens for them. Because a system like that would topple under the weight of their own you know, obvious, overwhelming injustice. So there's always a veneer of some sort of justice to give the perception of legitimacy. Now, in the case of slavery, that's a really heavy lift to try to find anything that an enslaved person benefited from, from their enslavement. Which is why you always hear the same arguments. Basically, they always come back to, well, they got free housing. <laughs> and I think they kind of know that they're scratching the absolute bottom of the barrel there, which is why that wasn't the primary argument used then or now. The primary argument was to completely dehumanize and turn enslaved people into objects of pity so that slavery itself could be looked at as a kindness in the minds of many. Then any action, no matter how small, like teaching Frederick Douglass the alphabet, could be put into that paternalistic frame of helping people who they believed couldn't help themselves. But as we heard today, that was all a distraction. It zooms in so closely on one set of facts that it actually works to obscure the wider reality that teaching an enslaved person to read doesn't soften the institution of slavery, but only highlights the injustice by acting as a reminder that access to reading, a fundamental human right, was systematically denied to enslaved people, specifically as a mechanism to keep them oppressed. Now, I think knocking down arguments that slavery wasn't so bad is 
a little too easy. So I'll, I'll move to one that I think people have a little bit harder time with because this pattern plays itself out over and over again. And it did so with patriarchy as well. Patriarchy was designed to grant more power and wealth to men while keeping women subservient. And it was done with the help of cultural norms that were established that appeared to be beneficial to women, like chivalry, which framed women as weak and in need of help and protection from men. That's how you get things like doors being held open for women and women and children being rescued from sinking ships first. But the same reasoning was used to keep women out of certain categories of jobs that often paid better or had more power than the jobs that they could get hired for. And so the power differential was maintained in favor of men with the help of a veneer of paternalism for women. That's all it takes to give some people the belief that maybe there isn't much of a power differential at all. Maybe it's just differences in how the benefits to each gender are doled out. Now, that's not a correct perspective, but you can see how a relatively reasonable person who doesn't think too hard about it might get tricked into thinking this. And Sometimes it's just that small amount of doubt that is enough to help a system of power perpetuate itself while avoiding being challenged too harshly, because enough people have enough doubt that they think, well, I don't know, do we really need to fight against this? It, it seems okay. Whereas if there were a genuine all-or-nothing power dynamic where men had all the power, all the money, ha had all the doors open for them, got priority rescue from sinking ships and women were forced to do all of the most dangerous jobs, then the imbalance would be so obvious, the injustice so clear, that reasonable people wouldn't be likely to be fooled by it, and resistance to that system of power would be much more pronounced. This is what is most important to understand when hearing what can sound like fairly reasonable perspectives about telling Frederick Douglass's full story or framing skills learned during enslavement as having been a benefit that a formerly enslaved person could use to lift themselves up when free. These stories, though there may be technical truth to them, are just another example of this pattern of oppressive power dynamics maintaining themselves by making those with power feel morally justified in maintaining that imbalance, by obscuring the larger context that is much more important to understand than the specific details of who taught Frederick Douglass to read. And this isn't just a relic of the past, as we heard today. Echoes of these arguments can still be heard about slavery today that impact modern perceptions of black people as a group, poisoning the discussion today about how to move forward as a society that has still not fully overcome the legacy of slavery, segregation, and structural racism. That's going to be it for today. As always, keep the comments coming in. I would love to hear your thoughts or questions about this or anything else. You can leave us a voicemail or send us a text to 202-999-3991 or simply email me to j at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Dion Clark and Aaron Clayton for their research work for the show and participation in our bonus episodes. Thanks to our transcriptionist trio, Ken, Brian, and LaWindy for their volunteer work helping put our transcripts together. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets, activism segments, graphic designing, webmastering, and bonus show co-hosting. And thanks to those who already support the show by becoming a member or purchasing gift memberships at bestoftheleft.com support. You can join them now by signing up today. It would be greatly appreciated. 
And if you want to continue the discussion, join our Discord community. There's a link to join in the show notes. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you twice weekly, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thank you.